Um, the thing that we're going to do today, we're going to be talking about joy. And this is, um, first, we're Presbyterians. And you, you know, some of you have heard me say this joke, that our favorite song is, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. It's down in my heart to stay. Um, so, uh, you know, this, this could be a challenging sermon for some of us because of that, but it's also made a little bit more challenging in the fact that, um, look who's preaching it. I, I'm the guy who, uh, I, 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 honestly, I've got a melancholy personality. I always have, and uh, I also struggle, as many of you know, with depression, and so it's just kind of funny that the Lord wants us to hear a message to a church that it may not be really great at expressing our joy by a person who may not be great at expressing joy. And someone once told me that you can't lead people somewhere where you've never been. And um, I hear that. And, and believe me, the fight for joy has been something I've been fighting for quite some time. But I also want to say that when God led his people out of Egypt to go into the promised land, none of them had ever gone to the promised land. Moses hadn't gone. Joshua hadn't gone. None of them had ever gone. So sometimes God does take us to places where we may not ourselves have been. And so we just have to trust that God knows what he's doing, and he's taking us where we need to go. All right, so all that to say, hi, I'm Stuart Mazell, pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church, and today is our series on overflow, our last one on joy, and we have two passages to read, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. The first is from Psalm chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. Here's what God's word says. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, Make me dwell in safety. And then from John chapter 15, this is Jesus speaking, and he says these words, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord Jesus, we want your joy in us. 
So help us today. By your spirit, fill us and empower us, not just to love you, not just to serve you, but to find our joy in you. And Lord, I know that every one of us, we're coming from various circumstances, some that are difficult, some we're walking on cloud nine, and many of us are just in that mundane stage. Would you meet us right where we are to give us what we need today so that we will exude the joy of our Savior? And we pray this, Jesus, in your name and for your glory along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, our one true God. Amen. So, you know, sometimes we hear something that is so contrary to the way we think, we conclude that that can't be true. What I just heard cannot be true. For example, years ago, I heard that a human body's circulatory system, I think we have an image, um, you know, your blood vessels, your arteries, your veins, I think we have an image, do we have an image? Yeah, there we go. Your, uh, your blood vessels, your arteries, your veins, your capillaries, all of that. If you were to take all of your veins, all of your capillaries, all of your arteries, all of your blood vessels, and you were to line them up straight in a, in a line, they would wrap around the world several times. That's what I heard several years ago. And my first reaction to, was that, to that was, uh-uh. No way. That's impossible. I mean, think about it. I'm 5'7 or so, and when I look at myself and I think, wait a second, all of the arteries and veins and capillaries in my body could wrap around the world? That's impossible. There's no way that that's true. That just cannot be true. And that's where I landed until this past week. It turns out it may actually be true. As odd as it sounds, as, as amazing as it sounds, as incredible as it sounds, it may actually be true. According to the uh, Journal of Physiology, there are about 250 capillaries per square millimeter of body tissue in people's bodies. So 250 capillaries per square millimeter of body tissue. And most of these capillaries are microscopic. They're so small that you, know, you have to see them through a microscope. And then there's another article in the Scientific American that states that our bodies contain, because of that, around 60,000 miles of capillaries. 60,000 miles. Do you know what the circumference of the earth is? 24,901 miles. So, if those articles are true, which, you know, they come from a scientific article, I mean, scientific journals, they may or may not be true, but at least there's something backing it up. You could take the veins and the arteries and the capillaries from your body and wrap it around the world at least two and a half times. That's insane. 
on the surface of the claim, we would all say, that just can't be true. In fact, some of your faces showed that when I said it. You're like, uh-uh. But the more we dig in and the more we study, the more we see, it may actually be true after all. I want to argue that that's what we're going to talk about today on a very different subject. That there's something that it may be really hard for us to believe. Something that we might say, "Uh uh-uh, that can't be true. And yet, if we really dig in, if we really start thinking what the scriptures actually say, we may find that it's more true than we would dare hope, dare believe. And that's this. Your first point, your major point, God wants his people to overflow with joy. God wants his people to overflow with joy. And I know some of you, you hear that and you go, no, 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 that's not right. That's not right. No, God might want us to have some joy in some way, but overflow with joy, be filled with joy. Uh-uh, no, 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 that's not what God wants. We'll deal with it in just a minute. But let's just take a look at the passage from John 15, verses 9 through 11. This is, again, Jesus speaking. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That you may be filled with joy. And this isn't one off passage of scripture. It's not a one-off. No, he says something very similar in John 16, 24, when he says, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. That Jesus really does care about our joy. And that makes sense, right? Because We are citizens, as Christians, we're citizens of the kingdom of God. And what does Paul say about the kingdom of God in Romans 14, 17? He says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We're to be filled with righteousness as his people. We're to be filled with peace as his people, but we're also to be filled with joy. Or think about Galatians 5.22 that talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And what's the next one? Joy. That we're to be filled by the Spirit, and the Spirit is to fill us with not just love, but also joy. And if none of that makes you think, well, God wants us to be joyful, at least listen to the words of the angel on that first night when Jesus was born, and the, angel went to, the angels went to the shepherds, and they said this from Luke 2. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You hear that? The good news of Jesus, the fact that Jesus is a king, who will die for people and rise again for people, that is good news of great joy that should go out to all the people. Right? 
So God does really care about our joy. And that's just a smattering of numerous passages in which joy is something God wants us to have. Read through the Psalms and see how many times God says, shout for joy. Read through Philippians and see how a man who is in prison for the gospel says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. God wants his people to overflow with joy. But here's here's the truth, right? Sometimes Christians can seem so unjoyful. A grumbling group of griping glum grouches. A solemn society of somber, sulking sourpusses. A critical crew of cranky, crabby curmudgeons. Does that seem to fit any of us? (laughs) Sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. Somehow, there is a disconnect between what God says a joy-filled life should be like and the way we actually live as believers. So if God really does want us to overflow with joy, how do we get there? What do we need to do? What do we, how do we get there, and what does it look like to overflow with joy? Now, I bit off more than I can chew in this sermon. And so I want to tell you that I may, I am really considering coming back to this topic as a sermon series because it is something that I believe so many of us struggle with and so many of us need to hear how to have joy, what it looks like to have joy. But for today, I just want to start with diagnosing some problems, okay? Diagnosing some problems. Because in order to embrace the truth that we, that God wants us to have joy, we're going to have to deal with some issues, okay? First, To embrace this truth, the truth that God wants us to have joy, we need to address some of our distorted views concerning joy. And let me tell you, we as the church, and I'm talking about church in general, we have plenty. Plenty. I grew up with some of these, and I'm not trying to cast aspersions on my um, church that I grew up in, but... I heard things that just, they messed with my mind. And that's part of the reason why I struggle with joy. So today, you got an outline within an outline. All right, if you're looking, if you, if you downloaded the worship guide, it, this is not in there. So, but you can take notes if you really want to. So this is an outline within the outline. And we're going to look at distorted views concerning joy. The things that we believe as a church sometimes that are distortions, that need to be addressed before we can ever talk about what it looks like to have joy. And I'll try to do this quickly. First of all, joy is not an emotion. That's the first distorted view. Joy is not an emotion. How do I know the church sometimes says this? I read it. Not only heard it, but I read it. 
in Greg Forrester's book, The Joy of Calvinism, which I think is hilarious that it's called The Joy of Calvinism. And then here's the quote. We don't get joy by seeking a better emotional life because joy is not an emotion. It is a settled certainty that God is in control. I would argue that it's the settled certainty that God is in control that leads to the emotion of joy. See, I think sometimes we say that joy is an emotion in order to allow ourselves to be curmudgeons, to allow ourselves to be sourpusses, to allow ourselves to just go, ho-hum, the world is kind of stinky, and not be pushed on the concept of, wait, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Think about Psalm 4-7, for example. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Now, when, what he's talking about is you have this group of people, they have lots and lots of grain, they have lots and lots of wine, and their joy is found in the fact that they have all that stuff. If they did not have that stuff, they would not have joy. That's what he's basically saying. And yet, the psalmist says, David says, you, God, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when they have all their stuff together. You've done that. Or think about Psalm 35. When talking about God, he says, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. See the contrast there? Weeping is considered a part of an emotional response, sadness. But joy is also connected to that emotion. The emotion of happiness. The emotion of, I am glad of something. And, and none of that gets you because you're thinking, well, that's just the Psalms. You know, they use poetic language. But think about Paul writing from prison in 2 Timothy 1.4, and he says to Timothy, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. He's saying, I will be glad. I will have joy if I am able to see you. That's an emotion. And even if you don't like calling joy an emotion, you have to at least say there's an emotional aspect to joy. Again, I feel like one of the reasons we, we say it's not an emotion is we're trying to push down our emotions to keep it down in our heart so it doesn't show up on our face. Second distortion. Emotions, even emotions like joy, are irrational, childish, unreliable, and can lead to problems. So it's best or more godly to be stoic. Do you know what I mean by stoic? That's when you show no emotion. None. My dad was a little bit like that. He was, except for when he laughed. That was the only time he showed real emotion. I mean, even his anger, it would be like, I'm mad at you. I mean, that's it. I mean, there was hardly anything shown on his face, except for when he laughed. That's, that's a form of stoicism. And some of us, personality-wise, we lean more towards that. And that's okay. The problem is when we start saying to other people, 
you have to be like this in order to be a follower of Jesus. You have to be stoic, stoical. You have to be a stoic in order to really be a follower of Jesus. That's not true. It's just not true. One of the best books on this subject, and I am encouraging people to read this one, is uh, the book Untangling Emotions by J. Alistair Groves and Winston T. Smith. It's a great book. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. If it's something that, if emotions is one of those things that you're like, I'm not sure I understand all this, I encourage you to read this book. It is, our, our life group went through it. It was great. So helpful in many ways. And one of the things that he says in that book is this. Our emotions, in all their dimensions, body and mind, are meant to function together in a way that serves his, that is God's, purposes. Look, I get it. Nobody wants to give in to emotionalism. We should be concerned about emotional-ism, where we're just being run by our emotions. But the real answer to emotionalism isn't stoicism. It isn't pretending like the emotions aren't there. It isn't like trying to stuff them down. It isn't trying to say emotions don't matter. No, the biblical truth, the real truth, is that God made us with emotions. And therefore, our emotions are a part of who he made us to be. And when we try to stuff that or ignore it, we're ignoring something of who God made us to be. And that includes joy. All right, third, uh, distortion. Happiness and joy are two different things. I heard that this week. Happiness and joy are two different things. If I had a nickel for how many times I've heard that phrase in the church. And maybe some of you are going, well, that's true. Happiness and joy are different things. There is a distinction. Yes, joy is a form of happiness, a higher form of happiness, if you will. But they are not so different that they're two different things. They are very much connected. You know how I know? Scripture... Psalm 68.3, but the righteous shall be glad, happy. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. See the connection? Jeremiah 31.13, then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. And that's just a little example of all the passages where joy and gladness, joy and celebration, joy and merriment go together. Look, I get it again. Some of the times as, as Christians, when we're not feeling very joyful, it's easy to say, well, you know, joy and happiness are two different things. I think that might be a cop-out for some of us. I know it's been a cop-out for me. Joy and happiness are connected. 
And if you've got the joy in your heart, it's going to show on your face. It will. One way or the other, it'll show. Fourth distortion. I promise we're getting somewhere here. All right. Enjoy, I love this one. Enjoying ourselves too much is sinful. Anybody ever heard that one? Enjoying ourselves too much is sinful. I remember somewhere down the line, I heard a sermon where it's when the Israelites are in the desert and Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments and the people, you know, they make a golden calf, an idol, and then they celebrate. They have a party. And Moses comes down and sees what's happening and he throws the commandments down on the ground and they break. And, and I kid you not, the main point that I took away from that sermon was partying is bad. Not that idolatry is bad, which is the real problem, but partying is bad. Celebrating is bad. Celebrating is not something God's people should do. No, 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 no. We should be all stoic and solemn and never really crack a smile and never laugh and never laugh and never joke around and never enjoy. That's not what the scriptures say. It is not what the scriptures say. The party wasn't what was bad. It was idolatry that was bad. If they were celebrating God and Moses had come down, it would have been a completely different story. Again, how do I know this? Scripture. Ecclesiastes 2, 24 through 25 says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? And then there's 1 Timothy 6, 17, which I actually mentioned last week. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The reason that coffee tastes so good to some of us is because God gave it to us to enjoy. The reason a steak tastes so good to some of us is because God gave it to us to enjoy. So enjoying something is not wrong. It's enjoying the wrong things that are wrong. And that's, where, that's one of those areas where I think we need to grow in, to remember God wants us to enjoy things. He wants us to have joy. In fact, that's why he gave us so many rich and good things. Okay, I've got to speed this up. Uh, fifth one, fifth distortion. God doesn't really care about your happiness. He only cares about your holiness. Anybody ever heard that one? I've said that one. And I repent. I repent of that. I was wrong to say that. Does God care about your holiness? Yes, he does. But does God also care about your happiness, your joy? Yes, he does. You know what passage changed my mind on this one? It's a passage from Nehemiah. Of all places, Nehemiah. See, 
God's people, they had messed up royally and they had been kicked out of the land and then they were brought back into the land and they were trying to build the community back up and then they were, doing some, they were still doing some wrong things. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, who was the priest and the scribe, and the Levites taught the people and they said to the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. See, Ezra had read the scriptures to them, and they were weeping because of their sin. And look at what he says here. He says to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see? It's not about us beating ourselves up over our sin. Yes, recognize your sin, mourn your sin, and then go, but this day that God has forgiven our sins in Christ is not only a holy day, it is a happy day, a day to celebrate, a day to enjoy. As C.S. Lewis said, and I love this, from Letters to an American Lady, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, and perhaps like you, I have met it only once, <laughs> it is irresistible. If even 10% of the world's population had it, would not the whole world be converted and happy before a year's end? Holiness and happiness are not opposites. They go together. And then finally for our distortions. If God wants us to be joyful, we should never feel or express sadness. That's another distortion. I have been the victim of this. When I have dared to show sadness and someone says, oh, you shouldn't be sad. You've got Jesus. You should be joyful all the time and never be sad about anything. That is not what scriptures say. In fact, you can be sad about your circumstances and yet have joy in Jesus. I didn't put this in the uh, outline, but that's why James starts off with, you know, the, the passage in James 1 where he says that count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds, when your circumstances are stinky? You can say, they're stinky circumstances, but God is doing something good in them, and so therefore I can also be joyful. It, it, it sounds like paradoxical, right? It sounds like it's hard. How do you do that? Well, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. That's part of my problem, is I don't know how to manage that. But I will tell you this, if we look at the scriptures, it has this all over the place, just two places. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, all right? So God calling us to have joy, it doesn't mean that we're never to weep, because it says right there, weep with those who weep. 
And then there's 2 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, where Paul gives this explanation of the Christian life and how there are these paradoxes, these almost, con- what they seem like contradictory things. He says, like, we are unknown and yet well-known. We're dying and behold, we live as punished, yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Somehow, and this is where we all need to grow, me included, somehow we're able to both be sad about our circumstances and yet rejoice in the Lord. And I think that's the real answer, right? We can be sad about our circumstances, but we rejoice in the Lord because the fullness, we're off distortions, we're on truth now, The fullness of joy is found in Christ. If you want real joy, if you want full joy, if you want to know joy in the depth of your being, that's found in Jesus. Ultimately, as Psalm 1611 says, you have made known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy. When we're in the presence of Jesus, at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Or again, going back to Jesus' own words in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. The joy that Jesus himself has is the joy that he wants us to have. Because when we love Jesus, when we know Jesus, When we abide in Jesus, when we spend time with Jesus, He fills us up with joy. Maybe that's where the real problem is for many of us, is that we're trying to find joy in things that won't satisfy. When we have Jesus who satisfies ultimately. It's always good to throw in a Puritan writer in a Presbyterian church. And the funny thing is, Puritans are normally thought of as the curmudgeons, right? You know, the people who, no fun for you. This comes from a Puritan writer, John Flavel. Christ is the very essence of all delights and pleasures. The very soul and substance of them as all the rivers are gathered into the ocean, which is the meeting place of all the waters in the world, so Christ is that ocean in which all true delights and pleasures meet. In other words, every delight we have here on earth, everything that gives us a little bit of joy here on earth is meant to point us back to Jesus, the source and ultimate joy. All right, so this is the last sermon of the Overflow series, and I've been doing acrostics. And I felt like I had to do one to end this up. So I'll I'll go through this briefly, because it is a long one. Your action point today is to overflow with joy. And if you say, well, how do I do that? Rejoice. Rejoice. First, the R, rely on the Spirit. If joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit, we can't manufacture it on our own. So let's go to the Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I need your fruit. Fill me. Empower me to have joy. Let's start there. Second, 
enjoy, this is the E, enjoy God's good gifts. God gave us these gifts for us to enjoy, and part of our joy is finding enjoyment in the good things that he's given to us. This morning, I tried to do this as I drank coffee. And I sipped the coffee and I thought, mmm, that's good. And it brought just a little bit of joy. And then my wife, sweet woman that she is, she brought me a chocolate chip muffin. And that chocolate chip muffin was delicious. And I enjoyed it so much. And, and, and when you have moments like that, you start to get just a little bit of glimpse of what it means to have joy just by those small pleasures. The J, of course, is Jesus is your highest joy. Don't ever forget that. If you are lacking joy, go to Jesus and say, Jesus, Show me just how glorious you are, how wonderful you are, how good you are, so that I can have your joy in me. But there is one thing, and this is the uh, obligation part that I have to, I have to mention, because Jesus himself says this. Uh, obey Jesus is the O. <laughs> I, I, I fear that many of us, the reason that we are not joyful is because we're not obeying. I mean, Jesus himself says in the passage I read earlier, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things, what I just said about obeying, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Obedience is part of being a joyful Christian because it's the way we're designed to be. No wonder if we fail to obey, no wonder we feel sad because that's not who we are anymore. We're new creations in Christ. Um, real quickly, the next, I think it's I. Is that right? Yep, I. Identify distorted thoughts. Um, I'm going off my own experience here more than anything. First of all, remember all those distortions that we just mentioned about joy? If you find yourself thinking that, well, God cares more about my holiness than he does about my happiness, stop yourself and say, is that true? Identify those distorted thoughts. Just, I know we're almost at time, but I, I, I got to share this. Um, my wife, again, loving, caring, sweet woman, um, tells me that, I have a gift of turning any compliment into a criticism. I'm not sure that's really a gift. But here's an example. So occasionally I'll preach a sermon and someone will say after the sermon, that was the best sermon I ever heard you preach. And I know what they mean by that. They're trying to encourage me. They're trying to say, that really spoke to me. They're trying to say, God really worked through that sermon. They're trying to say something encouraging. But you know what I hear? All your other sermons stink. <laughs> this one was okay, but all the other ones, they were really bad. Is that really what that person was saying? No. And, and I've learned to catch myself to speak truth to myself. That is not what that person meant, Stuart. Stop. Identify the distorted thought, and then that will not steal your joy. 
Because it should bring me great joy to hear someone say, I really, I really got a lot out of your sermon today. That should bring me great joy. But instead, I turn it into something else. If that's you, identify those distorted thoughts and speak truth to them. All right, and then uh, last two. Celebrate. See, celebrate what is good often. Celebrate it. And then um, the last one is E, eternalize your perspectives. And yes, I know that eternalize is not really a word, but it's going to work for this. Eternalize your perspectives. And what I mean by that is Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. If we can eternalize our perspectives when we're going through trials, when we're going through bad times, when we're going through those hurtful moments, and we can say, you know what? What I'm experiencing right now is bad, it's awful, but it's not worth comparing to what I'm getting ready to have in Christ in the age to come. So I'll look back on this moment and I'll go, that was nothing. That's what we need. We need to eternalize our perspective. I know I've given you a lot, and I'm going to give you one more quote, and then we'll end. This is from Octavius Winslow, and, I, and really, I want to give you this because I've never quoted Octavius, and I always just thought I would love to, and this quote hits right where I want to end today. The child of God is from necessity a joyful man. Also women. His sins are forgiven. His soul is justified. His person is adopted. His trials are blessings. His conflicts are victories. His death is immortality. His future is a heaven of inconceivable, unthought of, untold, and endless blessedness. With such a God, such a Savior, and such a hope, is he not, ought he not, to be a joyful man? I want to leave you with that quote. If this is all true, shouldn't we, as Christians, be some of the most joyful people in the entire world? I think we should. So, by the work of the Spirit, let's grow into being the joyful people God calls us to be in Christ. And let me pray for us. Lord, I, I know this is a lot. And I know that uh, sometimes it's just hard for us to take in so much. But by your Spirit, will you uh, take all that I've thrown out and let it stick? Whatever needs to stick for each person, will you let it stick? And that we would grow to be the joyful people you really want us to be. Help us to rejoice in you, Jesus, to celebrate you and to celebrate the good gifts you've given to us, that, Jesus, your joy would be in us and our joy would be full. Amen.